I gently tapped on my brakes. I gently put the car in reverse. As I looked in the rearview mirror, I subconsciously found myself drawing my eyes ever so briefly, just a millisecond, to the passenger beside me. I caught her. She was rolling her eyes. I think I knew it before I looked. Now, in all fairness, she knew what I was thinking before I even thought it or before I acted on it. She had seen it, I think, before I did. Dad, she said, are you really going to go to that dumpster? <laughs> Honey, I'm not dumpster diving. I'm going two feet from the dumpster. Silly. <laughs> it's a broken globe. Dad, what in the world are you going to do with a broken globe? I mean, look at it. It's in all those pieces. and. If you look at it, it appears that all the pieces aren't even there. I know. Well, then why are you going to bring it home? What are you going to do with it? I don't know, I said. It just kind of looks the way I feel. So much brokenness these days. That day, we loaded up the broken world. We put it in our trunk. We brought it home. I put it on the workbench in the garage. And for two months, it's been sitting there cluttering up the garage. A lot of brokenness out there. A lot of people out there experiencing sickness. A lot of people out there that are experiencing fear, distrust. A lot of people out there experiencing anger. A lot of people out there feeling like they've been thrown away. A lot of people out there are feeling quite misunderstood. There are a lot of people out there that wish they could throw other people away. A lot of brokenness. 2,000 years ago when Jesus wandered this earth in tangible form, God incarnate wandering the streets of Jerusalem, I'd like to say things were different, but I don't think they were. It's pretty clear when you read the Gospels that there's a lot of brokenness out there, a lot of distrust, a lot of fear, a lot of people acting out in fear. We're in the Gospel of John this week, chapter 5, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool called in Aramaic Beth Zatha, which has five porticos, five porches. In these were lying a large number of those who were sick, blind, lame, paralyzed. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. Jesus, when he saw this one lying there and knew that he had been sick a long time already, had said to him, Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed, in other words? Notice the man doesn't answer the question. The one who was sick answered him, Sir, I do not have anyone that whenever the water is stirred up could put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another goes down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his mat and began to walk. And then the author of the Gospel of John whispers in parentheses, in parentheses form, Now it was Sabbath on that day. Wow, what a great story. Now, if we aren't careful, we read the story and we skip straight to the ending. Sick man receives healing, picks up his mat, starts walking. And then we get a whisper. 
There's trouble coming. Little history behind all of this. When you travel to this particular site today, most of us would call it Bethesda. But in Aramaic, as well as in Hebrew, you will hear it as Bet Zata. House, Bet, Zata, mercy. Or interesting enough, shame. House of mercy or house of shame. For generations, it was just a pile of rubble that had been buried. People just ignored it. Even when you go there today, you can barely tell that it's a religious site. However, it has been beautifully excavated. It is gargantuan when you look at it. Like five porticos is big, five porches. And so when the text actually gives us a location and describes it, and then there's actual um, excavation, archaeological dig that, that says, yeah, that's what it looked like. That's a rare gift. That hardly ever happens. At one time, well before this moment that Jesus encountered the man here at the pool, it had been a temple, we think, to the Roman god for healing. Folklore would say that when you go down by the water, if you're seeking healing from the sacred, you wait for the water to be stirred up. You wait, in other words, for the water to be troubled. And that's the moment that you get into it. And that's the moment that you may or may not receive healing. So this man, who for 38 years had been paralyzed, finds himself in the same place he had been for, I'm guessing, the majority of his life, begging the sacred for healing and finding that there was nobody willing to bring him to the sacred for it to be so. 38 years, he responds to Jesus' obvious question, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? 38 years, he responds, I've been waiting. And there's nobody here. I'm all alone. And when I have the, the strength to actually push myself toward the water, people walk on me. They walk over me. They push me aside. They get ahead of me. That's his response to Jesus' question. So much brokenness. So many people feeling like they've just been thrown away, tossed aside. Healing's tricky business, isn't it? With all the brokenness out there, when we pray for somebody to be healed, I'm guessing that many of us, as we do so, we're thinking in the back of our heads or maybe the other side of our mouths as we speak out of one side of our mouth or heart and into God's ear, straight into God's heart, out of the other side, we're thinking, yeah, we'll see about that. Most of us, when we think of healing in a modern-day context, think of faith healers on television, charlatans, people that take advantage of others, people that use their self-proclaimed gift of healing to actually gouge people, to break their piggy banks open. Now, there are exceptions. There are those of us that when we pray for healing, we genuinely long for it and genuinely hope for it. But in the back of our minds, we think to ourselves, well, we'll see about that. And then there are the rest of us that perhaps when we pray for healing, we believe that if we just have enough faith, if we could just do the right thing, if we could barter with God in just such a way, that maybe, just maybe, the sacred will smile upon us and give us what we ask for. 
Here's what I think. I think there's a lot of brokenness out there. And I think we make a big mistake when we pray to God for healing, that we make the assumption that we understand what healing is. In the biblical language of Aramaic or Hebrew, when you hear the word healing, you can equate it with the word for wholeness or often even the word shalom, completeness. When we pray for healing, what we are often really praying for is cure, is it not? God, cure me of this. But when God receives those words, God looks beyond them. God hears us begging for shalom, wholeness, wellness. It's one thing for us to be cured. It's another thing for us to receive God's healing. Now, let me make it very clear. I do believe there are moments that we pray for a cure, even though we use the word healing. And in all of God's divine mystery, it happens. There are people that I know that have, have found themselves secure in their faith that God would heal them. And sure enough, God brought the cure that they were actually praying for. It's happened more times than I can count. But, but, there are so many more times that we have found ourselves praying that circumstances would change, that, that something would bring about cure. And we found that that answer didn't come in the way that we wanted to that we wanted it to. And some of us, many of us, have walked away from our faith because of it. It's one thing to be cured. It happens every once in a while. It's amazing when it does. I don't understand it, but wow, what a gift it is. But it's a different thing altogether to receive wholeness. There's a man named Al Staggs. His wife is struggling with cancer. And in the last weeks of her life, finds himself quoting his wife back to friends that had come to visit. They were sharing miraculous cure stories, but masking it in healing language. And she had said it to Al enough times that he could quote it to the friends on her behalf. And so he did. You know, he said, as amazing as those stories are, and I believe them to be true, I think it's just important that when we pray for a broken world, that we pray that God would reveal hope in hopelessness, in truly hopeless scenarios. He said, I believe as does my spouse that is dying, that there are things far worse than dying. I also believe that God heals where there is hopelessness. And so whereas we don't know how all of this is going to play out, it's pretty clear to us, the writing is on the wall, that this chapter is about over. And it appears to us that that is the beginning of her healing. 
Martin Luther says it this way. He says, you know, just as an infant in her mother's womb has no idea what birth is or what life is on the other side of it, all that child knows is the womb. Just like that child, we find ourselves in a place as we wander through life having no idea what shalom is until we are birthed into it. That's a paraphrase. Probably a longer version than Luther's version, but that's the gist of it. He's right. Friends, my prayer for you, for this broken world that we are living in together, is that we would learn to embrace God's shalom. That we would make the assumption as people of faith, not only that we have received healing in surprising ways, but that more healing is to come that will eventually lead to wholeness. And in turn, it is my fervent prayer out of both sides of my mouth and out of my heart alike that we as people of faith will understand, come to the place of understanding that we are to be agents of that shalom in the world as we know it in its brokenness. We are a part of the healing process, in other words. We are the reminder that there is a reason to be hopeful because we are a people of hope, because we have received healing, because God has troubled the waters. One of the things that I love about this text is that the man never even bothers to get into the water because he doesn't need to, because God is out there making good trouble. Does that sound familiar? Good trouble and in turn calling us to be a part of it. Within minutes of her rolling her eyes at me, she looks at me and says to me, maybe, just maybe, it's not a metaphor about how broken the world is, but a metaphor for our opportunity to help bring healing to it. Maybe so, kiddo. Probably so. I think so. Amen. Amen.